locomotive sipping, drinking Arizona Mixtape just around the corner, did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Thursday, April 20th, 2023. We are on the cusp of another weekend, still a little bit away from the next Formula One race. But uh, first of all, let's uh, wish a very happy Eid Mubarak to all our Muslim friends celebrating the end of uh, Ramadan. And the rest of us uh, looking forward to a nice weekend, hopefully hammy. We will have some nice weather here in Vancouver, but it uh, doesn't look that way. Anyways, Mark Daly here, joined by my friend, my co-host, my friend. I'm trying to steal your line, Mark. Anyways, joined <laughs> by the one and only Mr. Mark Hamilton. Mark, how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing well. I was I, I drove up the mountain into your gated community <laughs> earlier tonight. It was three and a half degrees Celsius, man. It is April oh. 20th, and it's still snowing in the mountains. It's we have crazy. had an awfully long winter. Nobody deserves some nice weather more than we do. That's for darn sure. But my friend, I'm I'm doing amazing. I again I, I share the same sentiments to our Muslim listeners. I think that they have They've been grinding it out, obviously, for the last couple of weeks with their (laughs) fasting, and I have nothing but a mountain of respect for all of them. So to all of our friends in that community, thank you for the support um, and happy, happy holidays. Um, My friend, a couple of other things that I wanted to touch on real quick before Mm -hmm. we lose sight of them is if, if our listeners haven't listened, and maybe you're starting to tune back in because we've kind of been on a bit of a break for the last couple of weeks with this big gap between Australia and Baku. We sat down and did a really cool episode of the podcast with Seth Whiteberg a couple of weeks ago when we did a movie review of Rush, the 2013 Ron Howard film. Make sure to check that out. And last Sunday, in the absence of Mr. Daly, Adam Burns of the DNF1 podcast was kind enough to pop by the studio and we sat down and we talked about the 2023 F1 championship predictions that most people got wrong. Adam was awesome and shared a ton of insights and thoughts that kind of have escaped, I think, you and I. So it was really good to get a fresh perspective. And there was some really great feedback about that. And then again, this Sunday, uh, one more Sunday off, Mr. Daly, and then I'm putting you back to the task the following week. (laughs) This coming Sunday, we're going to sit down with Planet F1's own Sam Cooper, and we're going to do some way too early, way too early quarter season report cards. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And then of course, this time next week, when you sit down, you, Mr. Daly, and I will be preparing for and previewing the first sprint race weekend of the year at Baku of all places, which is bananas. I know, right? And is it just me? But I feel like I I have to reintegrate myself into F1, if that's the proper word that I could use. I, I feel that with now three weeks since the last Grand Prix, I feel a little bit like out of sync. You know, I, I feel like the same way that I do come like about the third week of August or whatever it is when the when the summer break goes on. But the difference between then and now is that I don't know, just to being like spring here, it it just doesn't feel quite right. I mean, it, like when you usually get to the summer break, it's like, I'm good. You know, I, I need that month away from the sport because we've been going at it hard for like five months. It's like we've gone at it for like like a month and a bit and then not even. And all of a sudden we're into this extended break, basically because China got canceled and they didn't get a, a replacement it's, race. But it's, it's too early. It's too soon for the big break, Hammy. It's kind of like one of those days where you're super motivated and you get up at 5 a.m. and you go and do this awesome workout. And then by quarter to seven, you're back in bed asleep that you got <laughs> up, 
we were we were doing our reps and then we're back in bed snoozing until Baku. But Baku's going to be awesome. And I know Christian yep. Horner isn't a fan of doing a sprint race in in Baku. But hey, when you sign up for six sprint races a year, they're going to be wherever they end up being. And I have no objections as purely as a spectator. I have no objections to seeing a sprint race there, especially with the new format that they're introducing for 2023. And you know, honestly, with, with this month off, I, I think this is the best time to actually have a sprint race. I know it's, it's purely coincidental, but yeah, great point. It's, it, point. it seems like a like a, like the perfect way to to kickstart the season again after this extended early break. But Hammy, before we jump into the meat of things, first of all, let's uh, give a shout out to JT the Human, the incredible artist that uh, created that that amazing opener and intro music uh, to the uh, to the show. Also, another shout out to to Tease and RacingExclusives.com. Go check them out for authentic and one of a kind uh, F1 merch. If you're looking for something uh, that you want to add to the collection, go and check them out. RacingExclusives.com. Also, check out the race weekend the race weekend r-a-c-e-w-k-n-d.com enter in our promo code scuderia pod to get 10 percent off at checkout and support magnus and his incredible crew and this one hammy this was so weird yet so cool and so creepy and cringy at the same time i'm so conflicted about this the whole drake versus the weekend ai thing Matt, I, I got to get your take on this because like my week's been crazy. We, we've kind of been messaging each other back and forth, but this is the first time we're actually going to talk about this. Like, uh, yeah, man, I, I've, I'm really mixed on that as much as as cool as it kind of was. Like, it kind of freaks me out, but I, I want to hear your take on it. So first of all, thank you for bringing this up because I, I create I create the outlines for the show and you and I go back and forth as the week goes to kind of kind of gesticulate. That's not a word, but we go back and forth and we share feedback and we kind of firm up the outline of the show. And I threw this one on there, thinking, "Hey, we're going to get there. And you're going to skip over it because it's another Markism." But <laughs> I'm one, I'm super pumped. So if you didn't hear earlier this week, a collaboration between Drake and The Weeknd dropped, and the song is called Heart on My Sleeve, and it is an absolute banger of a track, and it's super, super relevant because Drake and The Weeknd are both from Toronto, uh, OVOXO, they did a bunch of stuff together about... 10 years ago and they've drifted apart and there was a bit of a beef. So this song drops. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a banger. Drake's verse has, it has no, it has no business being that good. And, and weekend is on fire and they're rapping and they're singing about Selena Gomez. And it's really, really great. It's fake. It's a hundred percent fake. And if you've listened to it, you will not believe it's fake because it is that good. But in essence, somebody wrote the song and effectively had artificial intelligence replicate the cadence and the tone of Drake and the cadence and the tone of Weekend and put together a banger of a track. And the industry, the music industry, is in an absolute uproar because I think they thought this could happen. I don't think they thought it could happen this quickly. And I, I I can't recall who I was talking to. It may have been Micah. It may have been Joe. It could have been one of our other listeners, but they make a really great point that we're almost at the point where an artist's vocals can be a plugin in an app, like drums and bass. Like It's almost like it's a plugin. But if you listen to the song, and I tweeted it out and I'll tweet it out again, it's phenomenal. My friend, what were your impressions of the, more importantly what were your kids impressions of this song well number one i haven't asked them but i you know i thought it was like like you i thought it was a banger of a track until totally I, yeah the, until i started like diving into it a little bit more and realized that you know 
it wasn't really real. And that's where I got kind of conflicted about it. But there is a Formula One tie into this whole AI thing. Did you oh. not hear earlier today <laughs> that that some and I don't have a link to it now, of course, um, but there was some media outlet in Germany did an AI interview with Michael Schumacher. Right. Now, his right. family is all over this. They're going to sue them, um, you know, because, uh, you know, they, they considered an invasion of their privacy and all these things like that. And I, I did read a couple of things. And like I was saying that this week has been completely bananas on my side. I wish I I'd uh, taken it. It was basically the first post ski accident interview that Michael's given since he had that horrible life altering accident in the Swiss Alps or wherever it was 10 years ago. So that's how it was kind of framed and his family and his legal team have quite rightly gone, you know, ballistic and are very upset about this and are going to, 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 to sue them, launch a lawsuit. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, as, as amazing as AI is, there's a very, I, I find a bit of a dark underbelly to it and and i'm not very comfortable with it i'm not going completely terminator 2 and skynet just yet but you know there is there is a bit of a, a dark side to it that um i do find a little bit uh, unsettling you know so anyways that that's my two cents let me share a couple of stories i think one and i was talking to joe santucci about this the other day and he made a really great point that you and I have enough of an audio library that if AI was to consume our show and we were to give AI the outline, we're probably living in a world that AI could actually execute our show. That if if artificial intelligence can come up with this heart on my sleeve song and somebody wrote that, somebody put it all together, but we're not far away from a world where we feed the outline to artificial intelligence and you and I show up and do the podcast while we're in the kitchen feeding the kids and stuff like that. Like we're not far away from that, which is super, super scary. The other thought is I had Dude, to just do- hang on a second. So you mean yeah, we yeah. can do the show without really in the doing the show and we, we could do, we, we could get together and chill or go shoot some hoops or something and, like that. And maybe yeah. artificial intelligence can keep it under two hours every Thursday, <laughs> which would keep, I think a lot of our listeners happy. But the other Anyways, thing go too on. is we've been, and, and I, I, I shouldn't, this is this was a, an assignment for a side hustle or side gig that I was working on, but um, I recently had to write a communication, and it took me about an hour to put together this communication um, because, like you know, you have to hit all these points. The message has to be really clear and transparent and super articulate, and it took me about an hour to put it together. So when I was done, I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to give Chat GPT a whirl. So I went to Chat GPT. I'm like, hey, draft this communication for me within seconds. It had drafted a communication that was 95% as good as mine. And with about wow. five minutes of tweaks, wow. five minutes of tweaks was equally as good. Like it's, it's, it's scary, man. Super scary. Wow. That, 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 that is amazing. Now, lazy Mark is kind of thinking, how can I like use that to my advantage to do all my emails and communications and stuff like that? So I haven't told you this. I've been using AI to put together some of the outlines for our shows. Wow. So, cool. So I've been playing with it recently and, and it does a pretty good job and I go through and mix things up and try to cluster a story. So there's some common threads between them, but yeah, AI is already starting to intersect with our program, my friend. Yeah, you know, actually, when it comes to like, um, you know, emails and things like that, I, I've over time, I've come to adopt more of the military way of like writing communications, It'd be like, good day, see attached questions directed to blank, yep. and then just like auto attach the signature and boom, there you go. I'm, you know, as as I age, 
I have less time for, hello, sir, how are you? I hope you have a good day. Or, hello, Hammy, how are you? It's just kind of like, hello. I'm aware. I see your text messages, yes. (laughs) I'm a busy man, Hammy. I I, I don't have a lot of time for for like flowery kind of things. For the audience, let me read your most recent text messages to me. No, Um, don't. They were full of (laughs) Me late. 849. Home almost. 851. Setting up. 855. Sorry. 859. Setting up. 901. (laughs) Done almost. Like that, that's that's the nature of your communications. Thank you so much for reading those and excluding all the ones that were full of all the swear words because I know there were quite a few of them in there tonight. Just that's, that, that's how bad my my week has been. So thank you for like preserving my my public my public image of being well, you know, not Mister Potty Mouth. Twelve minutes in, we should shift F one. We should, we should, should we? Okay, so um, let's take a, a, a couple of uh, little quick uh, bits and pieces here before we dive into the news. So this is a, a very cool one. Another stat that you found. So for the first time ever, every team has scored at least one point in the first three races of a Formula One season. So we have at the top uh, Red Bull with one hundred twenty three, Aston Martin with sixty five, um, Mercedes with fifty six, and then for 26 Mercedes 12 going all the way down to Alpha Tauri and Williams who have both scored a single point that is very very cool and something that I'd never actually uh, thought about before I mean I know in recent years especially since uh, Williams has dropped into the the abyss that there have been some seasons where they were lucky to score even a single point so I guess anything from here is just a bit of a bonus for, for them and hopefully they're turning around uh, something a little bit uh, different so we'll, we'll move on to that so 2022 versus 2023 top speeds. So these are the average top speeds from the first three rounds of the 2022 and 2023 uh, World Championships. So last year, the top speed for Red Bull was at three, sorry, 326.0 kilometers an hour compared to this year of 329.7 kilometers an hour. So they both uh, led the way, Red Bull last year and this year. Second last year was uh, Alpine with 324.0. This year's second fastest average top speed is Haas with 328. Last year, third uh, was Alpha Tauri with 322.3. This year in third place is Ferrari with an average top speed of 327. I'll just read off the last two. So last year, or the, to, to round to the top five anyways, last year, the, the fourth place uh, average top speed was Haas with 322. Uh, this year, fourth place is Williams of all people, also matching Ferrari at 327. Then finally, Top five last year in 2022 average uh, top speed was Williams with 321.3. This year is Alpine with 325.5. Interesting, eh? And then last year, I mean, uh, Mercedes was third from the bottom. They were, sorry, eighth out of 10. And this this year, they've uh, popped up a little bit. They are now six. So they've uh, at 324.7 compared to 318. So that's actually a fairly significant uh, increase uh, for, for the silver arrows. I mean, they're not up at the top, but uh, when compared to be- against themselves, uh, you know, quite a bit. And then also Ferrari uh, last year, 320 compared to 327. So some big uh, increases in uh, average top speed deltas for some of the big uh, contenders, but uh, for Ferrari, obviously not uh, reflected in the in the points and in the results. And just, uh, just out quite of respect yet. to our non-metric audience, I yep. did the math. I did a little bit of half-assed nice. internet research. Nice. 329.7 
kilometers per hour, which is Red Bull's highest recorded top speed of 2023. 205? 205 miles per hour? Yes, 205. Yes! Yes, I'm a math five. nerd. I'm a math nerd. It's You're like my life. You're also a professor. I would have expected <laughs> nothing less from you. Yeah. So the the conversion is one point six. There you go. Uh, so sorry to take the, the the wind out of your sails, Hammy. But uh, since uh, we went through that um, those first time points ever, so that basically was a nice uh, rundown of the constructors' uh, championship: Red Bull, Aston Martin, Mercedes, Ferrari, and McLaren. Pardon me, rounding out the the top five on the driver's side. We have uh, Max Verstappen still on top. Not surprisingly, after three weeks with no races, still leading the way in the World Championship with sixty nine points. Red Bull's uh, teammate uh, Sergio Perez is second with 54. Fernando Alonso from Aston Martin is third with 45. Lewis Hamilton from Mercedes is fourth in the World Championship with 38 points. And then Carlos Sainz from Ferrari rounds out the top five with uh, 20 points. Speaking of Carlos Sainz, he made the news in Australia at Albert Park in Melbourne a couple of weeks ago for all the wrong reasons. He and Ferrari did appeal to the FIA for a right to review uh the science being handed a five second penalty for uh, bumping into fernando alonso during the final of i can't even remember how many restarts there was at there there were at the uh, australian grand prix but uh this has gone nowhere so uh hammy what, what do you think it was was this the right call by the fia to dismiss their their appeal i think it was pretty cut and dry i guess this was just appealing for the sake of appealing or i'm am i missing something here you know, it, it's it's interesting. One of the things that I really hate about professional sports is the endless petitioning and campaigning of the referees. And of course, since we've seen video, like automated video replay in a lot of sports and soccer and basketball and the NFL and things like that, it feels like we're constantly going to the officials to to demand recalls. And, and one of the things that kind of grinds my gears, no pun intended, about the F, F of F1, and I kind of get why they do it. Like you, you don't really have anything to lose is is this kind of protest. But I, I wish it had kind of manifested itself more quickly than this. But I also appreciate that the F FIA was so definitively clear on this one. And according to motorsport.com, the stewards found signs to be wholly to blame for the collision with Aston Martin driver Alonso, who ultimately reclaimed third place due to the final result, deciding safety car classification being based on the previous resource order minus crashed car. So very, very clear. I'm, I'm not particularly surprised, but at the same time, I also really don't blame uh, Ferrari because that five, cent, five second penalty ultimately cost them potentially a, a podium finish. And landed them out of the points entirely. So when so much money is on the line and you have so so many obligations to your sponsors, you do whatever you can to reclaim points whenever you can. Yeah, I mean, because it's not like you can throw the challenge flag out onto the field there and get a review in race. But hey, maybe this is uh, something that they can download uh, to to AI as like uh, the Ferrari appeals or whoever it is. They appeal their penalty. Don't it's just joke, like, man. Don't joke. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll see it in our lifetime. Oh, okay. Now, well, now well, you think about it. Out. Think about that. You've actually you've you may have inadvertently brought up a really good point with the sheer amount of data points and telemetry that is pouring yeah. in from the FIA's devices they ha they have scattered around the track, all their sensors and their monitors, and the amount of data that flows off the cars. What's to say that for a lot of kind of calls like this, what's to say that artificial intelligence or or some sort of digital steward wouldn't be better at making these calls. Like they can, they can compute and process infinitely more data in a significantly faster amount of time than any human being could. Like 
F1 is primed for this type of thing simply because there's so many sensors and so much data. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we pivot in that direction. Again, there might be some opposition for people like human. And, you know, over here in North America, we always talk about this idea of doing away with the umpire in Major League Baseball that, hey, look, every umpire and umpires in Major League Baseball are notorious because every umpire calls pitches differently. And, you know, what might be a strike on a Monday isn't a strike on a Wednesday. And what might be a strike to one umpire is a ball to another umpire. And I think it drives, I think it creates a ton of friction and animosity within the sport. And people have always said like, we should have a digital empire. We should have a robotic empire. Like those, those pitches should be consistent all the time. And I think we see a little bit of that in formula one with the stewards as well, because we have this rotating grouping of stewards and all of them interpret the rules and the regulations differently. And the rules and the regulations are vague and arbitrary at times anyways. So it creates that kind of culture that manifests itself in the, in the, in the way that it feels inconsistent. But I think if there's a way to digitize some of this officiating, I think that would be a, a very smart thing to do if possible. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, who was it now? Was it was it Esteban Ocon or Fernando Alonso or whatever it was with the the appeal that they launched? Well, it was Fernando, right? After that, um, he was given that uh, that uh, five second penalty. Gosh, I mean, I'm stretching my memory here, and it was only a couple of weeks ago. But can you imagine how fast that they could maybe pull up those uh, data points and those uh, like totally like, like the, that they obviously had somebody in there you know, within the team go back and review all those things. I mean, could you imagine with like uh, AI could just pull all those together? literally in probably seconds or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I've, I've kind of scared myself and kind of uh, stumbled across something. But, uh, you know, any so credits. first AI replaces us on this show, yeah. and then AI replaces the stewards at the, the Grand Prix, and then who does AI well, replace? see, I, I could see why people might be upset that we might be replaced since we're beloved by all you know that and i can hear people like you know sniggering and laughing and joking and groaning like i can't believe they did that but i mean if anybody that could be replaced by ai nobody would be upset about it it'd have to be the f1 stewards right yeah i mean yeah you're though they're not particularly as 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 popular as we are yes certainly not as beloved (laughs) i apologize to everyone that's listening to the show (laughs) while driving to work right now i apologize Dude, this is the first time we've like literally spoken all week. So, you know, there, there's a, a little bit of a, you know, blowing off steam here. And especially on my side, I'm, j- I'm just kind of like uh, letting a lot of the, like a lot of the the crap that's been kind of like blow, you know, building up over the past uh, several days kind of like spill out. So anyways, uh, let, let's take a, this is a good spot for that, uh, you know, that first ad break. So let's uh, jump into that. When we come back on the flip side, I promise Mark and I will not be replaced by AI, famous last words and we'll continue running down the latest news so we'll do so in just a moment so don't go away we will be right back passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, 
it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the show. AI Mark and AI Hamilton here to continue breaking down the news. And yeah, would, would, would people actually know if we got replaced by AI versions of us, Hammy? I mean, would, would an AI version of us be better or worse or would it just be the same? Or like it you say, probably, they could get through like like what we take like takes us like ninety minutes. Like the AI how, versions of us could get through it in twenty it minutes. That's how they would figure it out. AI would get through the outline in twenty minutes, where it takes us two hours. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so taking a hint from the the future possible AI versions from ourselves and speeding things up here, Stefano Domenicali, the F1 CEO, has dropped another hint that the cost of entry for new teams is likely and probably going to rise above the current level. So if uh, accepted, a new entrant will have to pay $200 million of what they call the anti-dilution fee. And uh, this is, um, well, earlier this uh, year, they launched a, an entry process. It's still open. It's still scheduled to produce an outcome in June, so about a month or two down the road after all the bids have been example or examined. And we, we've talked about uh, several of them that uh, that we've known of. So, you know, Hammy, this is a big, big number. So officially, the number that uh, they use for this anti-dilution uh, fund is meant to reflect what they call potential losses each team will incur with an extra team that will take a piece of the F. F1 pie. Anyways, uh, the teams, the existing teams in Formula 1 have been uh, pushing for a new number that uh, they feel will uh, equate uh, the, the high cost of entry with the theoretical value of an existing operations, with some teams rumored to be pushing for an entry fee as high as $600 million. That is not pocket change, my friend. And I, I've got a question for you because I, I know that uh, you keep up a little bit more on the sports or the business side of sports. If you were I, you know, considering we had a couple of bill lying around the house, we wanted to uh, start an NBA franchise from the ground up or an NFL franchise from the ground up. Any idea how much that expansion fee might cost? I think that's a really good question because it helps contextualize this conversation a little bit. So let's put this into context. So it looks like the Washington Commander sale is going to happen and it's going to be roughly $6 billion. So I think if you were looking to buy an NFL expansion team today, if you wanted to be the 33rd or 34th team in the sport, it's probably not unrealistic to think that, hey, it's probably going to be four or five billion dollars, right? Like if you're buying a storied franchise, and I get the last couple of decades have been miserable in Washington, but if you're buying a storied franchise, there might be a premium. If you're buying an expansion team in a smaller market, it's probably four or five billion dollars. If you're talking about the NBA, I think there's every reason now to think that when Seattle and Vegas happens, and I, I'm being very presumptive, that it's probably going to be two or three billion dollars a piece for each one of those teams. So I think F1 and Stefano Domenicali are not stupid. And I really like this quote here at motorsport.com from Stefano Domenicali. And he says, and to go back to, actually, I'll, I'll go back one paragraph, but he says, the evaluation has to be done together to see from the technical perspective, from the sporting perspective, for the financial stability and to make the bigger picture if a new team will give value to the league. Notice how he says the league to the mm. sport and there will be a different position. And I go back to one point, the so-called anti-dilution payment 
in brackets, I would say expansion fee was done at $200 million a couple of years ago, because at that time, no one would have expected that the value of this business would have risen up so much. Today, the situation is totally different for sure. And it's our duty to make sure that we protect the business the best way that we can and have a bigger picture. He goes on today. There's so many that would like to come. There are teams that are more vocal than others. So clearly the Andretti group, some of them are much more silent, but they're really expressing their interest. As always in life, someone has to make that evaluation and we're part of this process and we're going to do the right thing at the appropriate time through this year. And then Liberty Media CEO, Greg Maffey, backed him into college statements when he says, back to the point about the $200 million, he said, Manor was the 11th team. And just before we bought into F1 in late 2016, it went into administration in the UK and got sold for one pound. The world has changed dramatically. So right now, the Concord Agreement, the Concord Agreement that was hammered out in 2020 during the peak of COVID, which is really the contract that binds the team and the FIA and Formula One, all of them together into the what we kind of recognize as the championship. It was defined there that, hey, if an 11th or 10th, 11th or 12th team gets added to the grid, they've got to cut a check for $200 million. And the intent is that, hey, an 11th team on the grid is going to take away from some of the prize money that the other teams would have received because there's another team, you have to split the pie another direction. And I think in 2020, they were basing that $200 million on the recent sale of the Williams team. The Williams team went for $200 million. And of course, that was kind of the benchmark that they used. The sport has exploded in popularity since then. And I think if you talk to the teams on the grid, with the exception of McLaren and Renault, who have different motivations for getting the Andretti Cadillac team on the grid, they're all going to say that $200 million doesn't cut it. That, hey, look, $200 million is a one-time check for $20 million. By adding an 11th team, we might lose $50 million in prize money every single year. Like That's not enough. And I think even that $600 million isn't enough. Now, the current Concord agreement expires at the end of 2025. And I think that Formula One, led by Stefano Domenicali and Greg Maffey, and the teams are going to kick this conversation as far down the path as possible. But you, Mr. Daly, made a really great point in a couple minutes ago, whereas this current FIA expression of interest process where they basically went in RFP, like, hey, if you're interested, come and submit an application to us. Come and submit an application. Like, that's going through the FIA approvals process right now. And ultimately, the FIA may come out in June and say, hey, we recommend the Andretti Cadillac bid. It's going to be up to FIA or up to Formula One and Liberty at that point to say, no, we don't agree with this because ultimately they're the one that gets the final stamp of approval and it's going to be very clear as to why. And that might create some friction and might upset some people in the US market, especially because Andretti is working really hard to position itself, even though they they ironically would be running a a rebranded French Renault engine with the Cadillac badging on it. But uh, I think ultimately... It's going to be an interesting conversation for us to talk about in June when F1 has to step up and say no go to that. Or, hey, let's collectively amend the Concord Agreement, get a new number in there, and then maybe proceed with the Andretti Cadillac bid at that point. You know, it's it's interesting when you read those com- uh, comments from uh, Dominicali. I think that we should all, at this point, mark this date in time because that one quote where Dominicali says, quote, if a new team will give value to the league, end quote. I think this is the first time I've ever heard Formula One referred to as a league. I mean, if you hear you know people talking about like teams in the NFL or the NBA, MLB, or even the NHL, the, the word franchise and team is often interchangeable, right? And I always find it like a bit of an interesting way to describe it because to be like a franchise is a subway, 
or a McDonald's or a Burger King, you know, like, you know, so, and, and it kind of makes me, when I hear them talk about like, uh, you know, Domenicali talk about Formula One in this way, the, like a, a league, that's almost like the, the, the next thing. They're not teams anymore. They're almost like, like franchisees, you know, they're, they're sort of buying a place into the sport, which, you know, they, they've always kind of done, but it just feels like now there, there's a bit of a different you know the the language. If you you know if I can use the word, uh, it has a bit of a different feel to it now. It's got a bit of a different tone. So I found that like a very revealing uh, comment uh, by Domenicali. But it, it's it kind of makes me wonder where is it going to go from here? Because you know they they keep talking about how they want to go up to 30, 30 races, and they still feel like there's room on the grid for a couple of more teams and. It just kind of really makes me wonder what the future, like, what is the direction of the sport? Because when you throw out, like, you know, th- those dollar figures, because, I mean, I don't think there's any any secret out there. I mean, I mean, London's been thrown out there, as is Mexico City, as possible places that uh, the NFL might want to put, like, an expansion team, which I know the London one kind of, like, has some more of the, like, the traditional... Uh, you know, sort of old school NFL fans like rolling their eyes and shaking their fists, their fists at uh, at the league office and stuff like that. But you know, if they're talking about five, six billion dollars and a couple of bill for like uh, the NBA for for Vegas and Seattle, I, I still can't believe that Seattle doesn't have a uh, an NBA team. I mean, with the SuperSonics being as popular as they were there for all those many years. Anyways, getting off track here. Uh, but, but but you're but you're not even- actually. And I think this is. And I'm I'm going to jump ahead because I think you've sure. opened up a perfect line of conversation to a story that I actually had outlined later in the show. But Speed Cafe wrote a really interesting article called yep. How F1 is Protecting Itself from the Future. And it ties directly into what you're saying, which is like the sport has what seems like this endless runway of profitability that, you know what, this past year it earned $400 million of incremental revenue over the year prior. And obviously we're seeing huge crowds. We saw 440,000 people at Austin in 2020. 22, yep. And then Australia clips that and it just seems like this period of growth is never going to end and we, we haven't even experienced the Las Vegas Grand Prix, which is going to debut in November, but Speed Cafe kind of takes a different perspective and I really wanted to get your thoughts on this, which is obviously this boom isn't going to last forever that this endless interest, the fact that you can open up any publication, go to any website, go to any social media influencers page and you'll see some conversation about f1 or a driver or a car or a race or an experience like this is all new and you and i are probably i don't know less sensitive because we would always go looking for the f1 content and now in a way that we've never known it before it's being served to us through all these channels that maybe we would have expected to see it but i think you would agree that this boom is probably not going to last forever and speed cafe talks a little bit about this and it talks about some of the things that liberty is doing to try to protect the long-term growth channel for the sport and it said and i I'd never picked up on this but it said it's trying to cement the economics of the sport by going to race organizers because of course race sanctioning fees represent a third or roughly i think a third of all of the revenue the sport joins so a third of the revenue comes from sponsorship a third of it comes from tv and streaming and a third of it comes from race hosting fees but 
it made this really great point, and I'm going to see if I can pull it up here, but it made this really great point about the fact that it is cementing long-term. So ah, Bahrain now has a deal on the books through 2036. So that is guaranteed secured income that they're going to see every year for the next 13 years. And it talks about the fact that Melbourne, Melbourne is now locked into the calendar through 2037. So in a way, Liberty is kind of striking while the iron's hot, that the sport's never been more popular globally. So let's go to those race organizers and get them to sign up to big deals so we can cement the financial future of the sport. And then we can start getting creative and we can try starting new things. So I thought that was really interesting, but I'd be curious to know, like in your opinion, what does, what does it look like when the popular, maybe it doesn't, but what does it look like when the popularity of the sport starts dipping off? Do do some of those 18,000 English language F1 podcasts that you and I were talking about before we started recording, do they start to drop off? Do you see less yes. of it manifest itself? Yeah, and hopefully that's the case selfishly. <laughs> but uh, so, but how else does it, how else does that manifest itself in popular culture when the, the popularity maybe starts to drop off a little bit? Well, that's great, right? I mean, uh, you and I, we, we come from a generation where, like you say, we we had to go and actively look for Formula One content. And that meant a, a trip down to the mall or to the bookstore and get a nice big glossy magazine with these amazing photos and long form articles. And 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 it was great. But I mean, like your, your Formula One news was kind of limited to, you know, maybe you were lucky if you had like, like there was like a weekly publication, like, like your auto sports and things like that. You had like your F1 racing magazines, the big, thick, glossy, nice, big, chunky magazines that would come out every month and th- things like that. But I mean, now it's instantaneous. You can get content any t- anytime, anywhere, in almost any form that you want. You can get your little bits and pieces on social media. You can hop on over to Spotify and to Apple Podcasts and download and listen to a podcast like this. You can go over to YouTube. You can even go into to Netflix. I mean, to, to watch DTS, for example. I mean, there are so many different ways. But like you say, at some point, that has to just, I mean, there's always an ebb and flow, like nothing lasts uh, for, for forever. And at some point, like you say, like the, the popularity is going to wane, the the interest is going to, to die off. And the, where does it kind of recede to, like when that interest does peak and does uh, sort of when you get on the other side of that that crest, right? And and that's where I think that the 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 conversation becomes interesting because obviously there is a big cost to operating and paying for a formula one team each and every year in when it comes to r&d building the cars maintaining the factories paying all the staff and you know getting to races and things like that but when you kind of look at it and then well i mean that doesn't matter if you're ferrari or the dallas cowboys dallas cowboys still have to maintain and run their 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 training facilities and pay all their players and their coaches and their staff they still have to fly the team around to you know 16 17 20 games a year if you count playoffs if your team makes it so i mean there's all the costs there but you know they're not putting in 130 million dollars a year to develop the team i mean the costs are are different in that regard so when you look at say a potential 5 billion dollar expansion fee for an nfl franchise compared to a 200 million dollar like expansion fee or anti dilution fund donation or contribution or however you want to kind of uh, use some you know fancy wordsmithing to come up with a term that to me almost seems like a bit of a deal don't you think 
Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think the teams feel that. And I think the FOM feels that as well. Uh, I just, I want to wrap up this article too, before we move on to the next topic, but I, I do agree with everything that you're saying, but Matt Koch from speedcafe.com writes, shoring up the medium to long-term with promoters is a paramount consideration for Formula One as it effectively guarantees an income stream for the period of that contract. It's why Bahrain has a deal through 2036, Melbourne a year after that. A number of key events in established or growing markets have been signed onto lengthy contracts as a way of underpinning the business going forward. That then affords Dominicali the security to experiment to explore new markets, events, and initiatives. It also insulates the business from any bubble it may be enjoying. And by staggering the end date of those longer-term deals, it offers something of a glide path down should F1's swelling interest prove temporary. It's simple simple economics and monetary policy. When the going is good, save and invest to safeguard the operation so when things do slow, the funding is there to support and offset. That is what Domenicali is doing, locking in the fundamentals to protect the business while taking calculated risks to continue its growth. Well written, well written, Mr. Matt Koch. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll double down on the comments uh, that uh, that we made. Uh, was it last week or the week uh, before that? That some F1 fans are DTS fans and some Drive to Survive fans are F1 fans. And I think that's very much a, a Venn diagram. Like, I just don't know how big the overlap between those uh, two two circles are. And I, I don't think that uh, that Formula One's popularity is necessarily tied to the whole DTS phenomenon. Although I think there is, there definitely is some some influence there that uh, that is uh, introduced to new people to the sport. My, my question is like, uh, how many and for 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 how long? Anyways, uh, Mark, I want to jump in. We'll take another uh, quick break. When we come back on the on the flip side, I want to talk about uh, something else here, and it's it's tied into this. And this is uh, what the uh, they're expecting on their five hundred million dollar investment in the upcoming Las Vegas Grand Prix. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. So please don't go away. We will be right back. All right. Welcome back. Well, it might feel like November outside here in the Pacific Northwest, but it isn't. And I say it feels like November because it ties in nicely with our next story, because that is the scheduled date for the, the first, the inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix, which will hit the, uh, the, the strip here in just what, you know, six, seven, eight months, whatever it is now, probably seven months, if I can do my math uh, correctly. I, I'm still really pumped about this one. I think it's going to be a, a really big spectacle. But just before we jump into that, you were just talking about um, venues that have long-term contracts. Is Qatar not on the books until the yeah. early 2030s, yeah. like 2032 or 33? There, 10 years there yeah. as well. Yeah, And we've only seen one Grand Prix there in 21, and that was kind of like like a one-off kind of deal. They took the year off what with uh, the, the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup, which uh, went there last November and December, which was a phenomenal and, and extremely enjoyable event. But that was amazing. That was just another one of these races that I thought was kind of an artifact from the, the, the pandemic. But the COVID yeah, period. right. Yeah, dude, I, I don't know I don't know how I started going down that rabbit hole, but I had the exact same experience the other day where I was on Wikipedia and I was looking at Qatar and I'm just like, 2021, what do you mean we've only been there once? And it was like <laughs> it was two years ago already. Yeah, and like yeah. and I know, I know definitively we weren't there last year, but I also can't believe we've only had 
had one race there. And my friend, um, I know, I know you're excited to talk about Vegas, but when we're done Vegas, I want to make sure we circle back and hit that story about Honda and Aston Martin. Okay? Yeah, I've actually kind of jumbled the uh, the the show outline here. Oh, I see what you're because doing. Because reasons, I see what yeah, you're doing. Because then it ties in okay. nicely to another story that uh, that AI Hammy had put in into the the outline here. So we'll we'll, we'll do that. So Vegas, yeah. So Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. So. A couple of super exciting things about this one. I don't know if you noticed, but they've started resurfacing sections of the track already. And my understanding is there's going to be two passes of it. But one of the things that I didn't realize is just how big, and I see people posting updates of the paddock and things like that. And the F1 experience center that's being built as a permanent piece of infrastructure near the strip in, in Las Vegas. But I didn't realize just how big of an investment Formula One has made. So Formula One bought the piece of land, the 39 acre plot of land immediately adjacent to the to the strip in Las Vegas for $240 million US. So that's not an insignificant purchase. And they're spending a further $260 million to build a 300,000 square foot paddock facility, which is according to Las Vegas Review Journal, now about 60% complete. So I think it's one of these things that's going to come right down to the wire, right? Like how many months out are we? May, June, July, August, September, October, November, we're six months out from this Grand Prix. They've got some work to do. They're, they're clearly going to make it, but it just speaks to what a significant investment that, that, Liberty is making in this event. The other important thing to remember when we're talking about Vegas too is F1 is actually the promoter in this case, that they didn't sign up a race organizer to host this event, that they are actually the race organizer. So they kind of cut out the middleman here. They own the infrastructure. They have the contract with the city. They're going to run this. So any net proceeds from this event are going to go straight into the Formula One coffers, which I think is is a very strategic business play and maybe something that we see more of from Liberty. But yeah, it's surreal that we're now just six months away from something that had been long rumored. I mean, we've raced in Vegas before. We were in there in the 80s, which is kind of surreal to think about as well, mm -hmm. racing in a parking lot. But this is going to be F1 on a whole different level. And certainly I'm excited for it. Man, can you, can you believe we're just six months away from racing in Vegas? A night race on a Saturday night? I, I'm, I'm super stoked. Like when this really unfolded when this uh, this whole Vegas race became a thing like it wasn't just like a some you know like some pipe dream that was never going to happen when it became finalized and they released the the, the format for the whole race week I was like I can't believe I'm gonna have to wait like 18 or 24 months before this is actually a thing so no the fact that this is only a six or seven months away is extremely exciting but before we, we kind of talk about that a little bit more the one thing that kind of just like blew my mind is you said that uh, that F1 has bought the the land immediately adjacent to the strip for 240 million dollars 39 acres correct in in vegas yes okay yes okay so yes. i've spent the last 20 years working in land development so currently in vancouver is 66 by 120 foot lot with a, a maybe a new or an old I home knew you were going there you know that, that that's going for like one and a half or you know like it's over one million canadian so the fact that they were able to get a 39 acre 
parcel for $240 million US, which is a lot of money. Actually, to me, seems like they got a it's scream. A bargain. Yes, exactly. They got a it's, screaming it's a bargain. good deal. That is amazing. And then they're going to invest an equal sum of money to develop that property, to develop and build the infrastructure. I'm just like, you know, now that you've kind of like put those pieces out there and I've had a chance to kind of like let it sort of tumble around in my mind while you were describing all that, that is absolutely astounding. And when you see some of the comments from the CEO, Liberty Media CEO, Gravaga Mafia, he said, uh, quote, they will get a very good return on that money. Anyways, uh, Greg goes on to say, quote, we're going to have a high revenue stream. We're going to have a high cost stream, but it's more important that we have a great experience for everyone, everybody involved in the first year, end quote. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know, man. That is just... Uh, I'm just completely astounded, you know. So, like a 250 million, 40 million plus the uh, the 300,000 square foot paddock uh, facility, which is uh, you know uh, over 50 percent uh, complete, and there, there's plenty of time to to do that. I mean, when you see that all sort of put down, is like, I mean, they're here to do this the right way, and by like investing the money themselves, they're obviously wanting to you know not just do it the right way, but they're also intending to do it for the long term. Your thoughts on that, Mark? Can we just also talk about Vegas? Sure. Let's let's just talk about this. So Vegas, a city of two and a half million people that's sitting in the desert. And obviously, it's an entertainment mecca, and it draws people in from every corner of North America. There's sure. direct flights, effectively, from every single yep. city. Since 2017, they secured an NHL expansion team, the Vegas Knights, who opened up the brand new T-Mobile Arena. In 2020, the... Oakland Raiders moved to Las Vegas to play in the brand new Allegiant Stadium. Earlier today, or maybe late yesterday, the Oakland Athletics have announced that they've secured or finished a binding agreement to buy up 159 acre plot of land in downtown Las Vegas to build a ballpark. The Oakland Athletics, who have been in Oakland since 1968, are moving to Las Vegas. Las Vegas now has a long-term agreement to host a Formula One Grand Prix. And if you listen to Bill Simmons or almost any other NBA analyst, a new NBA team will be on their way to the city within the next decade in another brand new arena that it's so funny, man, that for generations and decades, professional sports wouldn't go near this city because they they feared the close association with gambling. And now we're going to live in a world where this city not only has a team in all four of the major North American sports, but it's also going to have Formula One. Nobody Nobody, and I'm not judging. This isn't a criticism. It's just a, a general observation that Vegas is rapidly becoming um, an enter. It is. It's the entertainment mecca of North America. But yeah, it's rapid how quickly this happened. That basically in a decade they went from no professional sports teams to Formula One and three professional sports teams. It's crazy. So are we just going to call them Oak Vegas if the if the A's are moving there as well since they've already poached the Raiders? You know, like uh, that just uh, isn't that crazy. Yeah, so yeah. My heart goes out. I- I've lost a professional sports team in the Vancouver Grizzlies like I know how painful it is to lose a team so my heart goes out to everybody in the bay but but yeah very 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 interesting so question for you yeah if I was to pull out my credit card and I was to offer you an all expenses pay trip and this couldn't possibly work because my credit cards are maxed out <laughs> but if I was to offer you a free trip to see Miami Vegas or Austin which one would it be and why 
I, I think it would be Vegas. As, as much as I'd love to go to Miami and get that that real, you know, the vibe that Miami has, and because I've never been to, well, I've, I haven't been to any one of those uh, three cities. I'd love to, to to go to all of them. I mean, Miami kind of has its own kind of like glitzy kind of like flavor to it. Coda kind of has that 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 down to earth kind of um, you know back to grassroots racing. I think it's phenomenal, um, you know, circuit. And the town of uh, Austin, Texas, sounds like a really cool place to go and visit and te- you know visit and go and see i want to go and visit texas period uh as, as as one place but i mean the whole the whole experience of vegas just seems different the the, the fact that uh that uh, that uh, formula one is going there i mean you got the glitz the glamour you got the casinos you've got all these uh, different things going on it's just that I, I think it'd be like a, a bit of a, a toss up between Miami and Vegas, but I think Vegas would just come out on top due to the fact that it's also going to be the night race because I, I don't think that there is, you know, anywhere else like the strip in downtown Las Vegas, anywhere else in North America. And I think that's going to be very, very unique. And you know that Formula One is going to play that up big time and all their marketing is going to feature heavily in all the TV, you know, angles and shots that we see during the weekend. So I think that uh, that would have to be it. You know, my personality, I, I don't drink ever never have and I don't gamble and I don't bet and Vegas has never even remotely appealed to me but with all of these things it's doing with bringing in professional sports and these world-class facilities all of a sudden it's this really compelling draw and uh, obviously I think this race I think if there's tickets available because the other thing you and I have talked about recently is that there's going to be very little ticket inventory that's going to actually be made available to the general public I think most of the ticket inventory is being allocated to major sponsors sponsors and and corporate partners of Formula One. Uh, So even if we wanted to go, there isn't really an opportunity to see the race. But hey, maybe if there's an opportunity three or four years down the road, um, we can go. But this would be if you can combine the hospitality, the food, the world-class accommodations, the pools, um, the shopping, and a Formula One race in one tight, compact, walkable area, it's a pretty cool experience. And November is a great time to be in Vegas as well, based on everything I understand. Yep. And then to do a night race as well is very cool concept. Well, I mean, the, could you just uh, picture it the, this way? I mean, you could go like, say, let, let's just say that uh, the tickets were widely and freely available and also affordable. You could uh, really kind of make a real event out of it. You could go to the Formula One race. You could also go check out a Raiders game. You could go and check out the Golden Knights. You go and check out all the other things that Vegas has to offer. Go to all the big uh, casinos. Even throw in a concert there and go and check out Barry Manilow or whoever you know, whoever it is, or your your Celine Dion or whatever it might be, or Cirque du Soleil. Lots of things to to go and do there. I mean, you could really go all out on uh, on a trip to Vegas in and around that uh, that that Grand Prix would be uh, something else. Okay, let's uh, move along. Let's get back to some uh, on the track stuff. So apparently Honda might be coming the engine supplier for Aston Martin in 2026. And this comes uh, via the uh, the Spanish site from uh, motorsport.com. And this is uh, from uh, Roberto Chinchero. And uh, Mark, this is... If this happens, this is a development uh, that I didn't quite expect to see. 
number one, because um, Aston Martin and Mercedes have been, there's a, a pretty tight relationship both in Formula One and with the road car division and investments by Total Wolf into the road car division and et cetera. I mean, obviously that doesn't have anything to do with the Formula One team, but the fact that they they, they have been so intertwined, plus the, the fact that Honda has been I'd say a little bit reluctant to do anything more than dip their toes in the post 2026, you know, era of formula one and the new power units. They, they've been very non-committal. I mean, they've been non-committal in the sport for the past couple of years, yet they still seem to be, (laughs) they're still witty races and championships, which is amazing. Mark, I'd love to get your two cents on this one, because this is, you know, there's lots of juicy rumors that go around, but this one I find a little bit more, uh, you know, a a little bit more enjoyable, a, a little juicier than some of the other rumors that we've seen recently. I, I totally agree. This one is a fresh turkey burger level of juiciness. Although that's maybe a bad exp- maybe a bad expression because turkey burgers are notoriously lean. But this is this is a really juicy topic to to discuss. And to me, it actually leaves me with more questions than than answers. And we know that. Honda have expressed an interest in continuing to produce power units for 2026. And we know it's not going to be with their current partners because Red Bull powertrains, Ford Red Bull powertrains is an entity, it's official, it's on the side of the factory in Milton Keynes. And and Honda, if they want to continue providing power units to somebody, it's going to be one of three teams. It's, it's going to be Williams because their supply, their contract with Mercedes ends after 25. It could be McLaren because their supply, their agreement with Mercedes ends after 25, or it could be Aston Martin, which ends after 25. Strictly logistically, because Williams has no relationship to a road car division, you would assume that that's the team that it would make the most sense to partner, right? That you could, as Williams, you could effectively become a Honda Works team if that's what Honda wanted. But you also don't have any obligations to a road car division. McLaren's a little bit more challenging. Of course, they have a history and they have a heritage and a legacy with Honda power units. That's that's very that's very much more positive than I think what we've seen in recent history, of course, in the turbo hybrid era. But there's there's something there, and and I don't think they love being partnered with Mercedes. Again, they are a road car manufacturer themselves, although I think gearboxes and power units are something that's probably beyond their capability of developing in a meaningful way. But Aston Martin has surfaced as another option. And this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because you teed it up perfectly. Aston Martin, both in the terms of Formula One and in terms of road cars, is deeply enmeshed with Mercedes. Mercedes has a stake of the Aston Martin road car division, and Aston Martin road cars are typically powered by a Mercedes powertrain and a Mercedes gearbox and the electronics and the infotainment system and the switch gear are typically all procured from Mercedes factories that ultimately Aston Martin builds the most gorgeous looking chassis and cars on the planet as far as I'm concerned, but they're typically underpinned by Mercedes power. And then even if you look at the Formula One division, the gearbox, the rear end and the power unit are all coming from Mercedes. They're coming from Brackley or Bricksworth more specifically. So it's it's interesting that Aston Martin would look at... And uh, let me put aside Aston Martin F1. It's interesting that Lawrence Stroll might potentially consider partnering with Honda to power its Aston Martin Formula One team. Because that's, that's a really confusing message, right? It's a Aston Martin Formula One car 
powered by Honda. But it's also equally confusing for Honda because what do they get out of this relationship that it's going to be, again, an Aston Martin powered by Honda, or maybe it's one of those things where Aston Martin simply rebadges the Honda power unit, but then what's the point of doing this exercise for Honda if you're not going to get your badge on the, if you're not going to get the HRC badge and your Honda and your Honda emblem on the side of the car, what's the point? But there seems to be a lot to this story, which I thought was really interesting. And there's a really good translation of the article because this is a Japanese article, but there's a really, really good translation on Reddit that people might want to check out. But it's it's fascinating. And I think it's probably going to start, I think it's probably going to start percolating because you and I have talked about this quite a lot recently that if Honda's going to do this, they need to make the decision soon and they need to find a partner soon. And they're not going to do this unless they line up a partner. But the longer they wait, the harder it's going to get because as we've talked about before, Red Bull has a functioning internal combustion engine on the test bench. And as we're going to hear in a couple of minutes when we move on to another story, so does Audi. Honda has a functioning factory, but they're producing a power unit for Red Bull that's already designed with no changes. They're just churning them off the assembly line and they have minimal staff there. So if if Honda want to do this, they need a partner soon who's committed to the project so they can start staffing up that Sakura factory in Japan once again, because they need to start doing some pretty significant heavy lifting. I know, man, I know it's only April 20th, 20. 23, but two and a half years is not a long time to get a completely new power unit in the back of a car. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think you made those uh, comments about uh, the historic ties between uh, McLaren and Honda. I think that was a uh, really, really appropriate because by and large, a lot of the problems that that, uh, well, there was a lot going on in the mid-teens, uh, both on and off the track with, uh, with, with McLaren. So it wasn't purely down to the the lack of performance or reliability from the Honda power unit there were other things going on but where where it is relevant is that Honda when they did commit to come back into Formula 1 and provide those power units to McLaren they were so late to the game compared to Renault compared to Ferrari compared to Mercedes exactly. they were years exactly yeah, they were years behind in development and that's why you're so correct in saying that if they are going to do this they need to find a partner and they need to find them yesterday because you know two and a half years like you say is not a very long time because they're going to have to scale this bad boy up quickly and they're going to have to do it right now or else you know they they face a similar kind of a challenge or issue that they did you know 10 years ago when sort of getting that that McLaren partnership booted up exactly. and it's you know and that old saying that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it which is a great segue into the next article about Fernando Alonso so i'm just going to tease tease that one out so we'll just take uh, one break here we'll come back and and we'll talk about others who may or may not have learned from history and may or may not be doomed to repeat it. And I hope Fernando's not listening to this because he might not appreciate that comment. Anyways, we'll be back in a moment. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. So the next uh, story here is in uh, regarding to Fernando Alonso, and this comes from motorsport.com and an article by Adam Cooper titled Alonso leading by example at Aston Martin F1 team with work ethic, uh, ethic, pardon me. And then the, uh, the the subtitle is Aston Martin F1 principal uh, or team principal Mike Crack says Fernando Alonso is leading by example in inspiring the team with his work ethic. Now, not to take anything away from like, 
you know, previous incarnations of Fernando Alonso. But this is the kind of things that you always heard when, you know, uh, you know, when you'd hear people talking about Seb Vettel and Michael Schumacher and other drivers that were, you know, always focused in and around the team and putting in long, long hours, especially not just into their own fitness, but sitting down with the engineers and with the team and going through every little bit. So it is interesting now to hear that, was it 42-year-old Fernando Alonso, two-time world champion? I mean, he's almost 20 years removed from those two chips, which is is crazy. Anyways, uh, Crack uh, had to say, quote, I think it was confirmation basically of where he's standing with the team. He brought a lot of energy, a lot of positive when he arrived he is leading by example at all times he is there very early he's working really hard and it is this lead by example that everyone just sees and grabs on and gives an extra level of motivation and i think the signing of a name like this was a confirmation also for him that he has really brought a lot into the team uh if you if someone told me you will have three podiums after uh, first three races i would not have believed it but it also shows what a champion we have there he's just incredible his consistency if you look at all the sessions throughout the the, the year so far he has always been there in every session every, every fp1 every two He'll always be up there and pushes the maximum at all times. And uh, end quote. And then finally, Crack goes on to say, I think that uh, when, he, when he was asked about uh, age by Adam Cooper, he said, uh, quote, I think the most important thing is the speed and the desire to compete or the desire to be competitive. I don't like to speak about age, about Fernando's age, but also about my age by the uh, the by the way end quote so a couple of interesting things there um the work ethic thing it is impressive i mean cynical me says well maybe fernando at 41 or 42 or whatever he is right now realizes that this is probably his last kick at the can in formula one before age will eventually catch up with him and that uh, performance and ability and athleticism he has will start to take uh, an unfortunate you know you know decline i mean that we're all you know will face it at some point but i mean he has been driving at an extremely high level for the past uh, several seasons so i uh, you know cynical me says yeah he's only doing it because you know this is his last real shot at uh, at anything in formula one he wants to go out with a bang but what do you make of it mark very much the same i think that that you do and i i have to say and i've said this so many times that the single best part of this very early championship so far has been has been Fernando Alonso. And like you, and I think you made this comment recently about the fact that you never would have expected to be so adamantly cheering him on. And I was I was almost heartbroken when he got spun by signs on that restart in Australia. Oh, I was. Like, he lost I the was. podium. I, I was. was so emotionally invested in him in getting <laughs> that third podium. And I was so relieved when he was able to keep it. And I've never, ever, ever been a Fernando Alonso fan, but I cannot... Again, I'm 42 myself. Like, how old is Fernando? 42. I'm 42 that... I, I know how my body is and and I work out extensively and my body today is not what it was three years ago. And it's definitely not what it was five or six or seven years ago, no matter how much I want it to be, and no matter how much I push it to do certain things, it's not there. And I, I'm sure that his body is breaking down, but I think he's overcoming that with phenomenal diet and, and work ethic. And I just, I think he's He's got such phenomenal racecraft that he's still able to outwit in large part because of his worlds of experience, so many other drivers. And I like that point that you have about his hunger because I think he missed Formula One immensely when he exited. And when he exited after that 
colossal failure that was his second term with with McLaren, I think there was thoughts amongst the paddock that he would never return again, that he was toxic, that he was he was broken luggage, that it was never going to work. And when he got that second stint with with Renault, it was a breath, it was kind of like a second breath for him, a second opportunity, a second chance. And he clearly, he's clearly taken full advantage of it. And, you know, even a couple of days ago, when I was talking with um, Adam Burns, we were talking about the fact that, hey, were we expecting this out of him? And last summer, when he'd signed that shock deal to go to Aston Martin to replace Seb Vettel, I think a lot of people were criticizing it as, hey, this is a money deal. He's doing this for money. And even if that wasn't the case, or maybe it was the case, but I, I still strongly believe that Lawrence Stroll showed him something or told him something that made him believe that going to Silverstone was better than staying with Enstone, with staying with the Renault Alpine team. And I think he did this. Maybe the money was better. Maybe the term was better, but he sincerely did it because he thought he was going to get a better car and he was going to be able to compete more, more regularly for podiums. And just looking at the, the the joy and the reaction in his in his eyes, in his face, and his body language after the first three races, I mean, this to me says that this isn't a driver that's just showing up for a for a for a for a paycheck. I think that he's obviously enjoying what he's doing. He's getting good results, and we went over some of those stats there. Just uh, was, was last week or the week before. Just all those years where there was there was nothing like the 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 lower points finishes or not in the points at all. Then out of Formula One for a bit. Then he comes back and was like, what was it the first time since 2014 or 2013 he had like three podiums in a season or something like that? I mean, it's, I, I mean, we, we've kind of like wound the clock back like a decade. It's, it's, it's amazing uh, to, to see and, and it's fun to watch as well. Okay. Uh, let's uh, jump now to, to Audi. Well, first of all, uh, just before we do that. So, um, this is just according to Andreas Haupt at uh, Autosport or uh, Automotor und Sports in uh, Germany, saying that uh, Mercedes found out uh, what happened to George Russell's car at the Australian Grand Prix. It was a piece of debris in one of the cylinders that caused the failure, and uh, they're hoping that the, the the power unit's not going it to be right off. It is not salvageable. So since oh, we it this, isn't. Yeah, oh so, wow. Yeah. So it's not clear how that debris got through the intercooler and the turbocharger because, of course, that's where the air ultimately gets into the combustion chamber. So it's not clear exactly how that happened unless the debris was already there somehow and it sat stationary until some point where it was dislodged and got into the combustion chamber. Uh, but ultimately, it looks like they've lost an internal combustion unit, which will Ouch. obviously be a blow to them because they would have liked to get a few more races out of it. So at some point, there'll be like, some grid penalties as a result of having to take an extra power unit. So uh, a big blow to, despite, uh, aside from in addition to the DNF, uh, some extra bad news for Mercedes. Yeah, I mean, the, and their their power units have typically been fairly bulletproof over, over the years. I mean, apart from yeah, Lewis's same Malaysia twenty sixteen. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly where I was going for that. That that is the the one sort of highlight uh, standout moment uh, when when reliability let uh, one of their cars down in a big way. Okay, so the next one is uh, a tweet from Gili Duchessa, and uh, the, the the tweet is Audi F one power unit twenty twenty six development has begun. Quote, valuable insights in the development for the test bench setup and validation of the measuring instruments are provided by a single cylinder engine that has been tested since the end of 2022. The first full hybrid uh, drivetrain unit consisting of the combustion engine, electric motor, battery and electronic control unit is scheduled to run on the test bench before the end of this year and will form the basis of a future vehicle concept. On top of that, the dynamic development simulator Neuberg will be brought up to Formula and Standards and will first 
further advance the development of the Audi, uh, Audi power units. End quote. And so um, the, also this is a nicely linked to another article from Matt Q at motorsport.com, just talking more about having their, their engine test by the end of 2023. But interesting that they have a, a single cylinder engine that's been tested now and has been on the test bench for several months, at least dating back uh, to the end of uh, last year. This is uh, exciting and interesting to see a, a big name like Audi and the way that uh, they're starting to ramp up uh, developments and starting to ramp up their operations, Mark. A couple of things that I learned, and Lawrence Barreto has a really great article on F1.com, and there's another really great article about a, a kind of similar topic from Matt Q over on motorsport.com. But if you if you don't remember, the Sauber Group was gobbled up back in, I think, 2017 by Longbow Finance, which is yes. led by Swedish billionaire Finn Rousing. And one of the things I, I learned was, and I think we knew this kind of watching from the outside, but at this point, we'd seen a whole bunch of teams collapse in the prior decade, everyone from Caterham to, to Manor and Marouche. And there, there was just a lot of churn and there weren't a lot of buyers and a lot of teams were entering or going into or trying to get out of administration. And of course, the year after that same fate befell Force India. But Sauber had been this team that since the exit of BMW, and interestingly, BMW actually bought Sauber at one point, made it a works team. And when they exited the championship, they sold the team back to Sauber. But Sauber became a greatly, I would say, underfunded operation. And they struggled for sponsors and they struggled for points. And in 2017, Longbow Finance came and gobbled them up. And they immediately started injecting some cash into this team. But remarkably, in 2017, according to Lawrence Barreto, the team had just 180 employees. So we talk about Mercedes and we talk about north of a thousand people at Brackley and Bricksworth. Like we're talking about an entire Formula One operation being managed by 180 people. And in this article, it talks about the fact that with the impending, with the impending transition to becoming an Audi Works team, they've already doubled that headcount. So the Swiss factory now has in excess of 300 people. But the other thing that we learned is that. Audi over in Newburgh, Germany, they have more than 300 people working on their power unit project. So it's really interesting how Andreas Seidel is kind of, he's got one foot in, in the Sauber camp and he's got one foot in Germany was he's trying to manage these two parallel projects. One of which is, hey, we need to define and develop and manufacture and test a power unit for 2026. And on the other hand, I've got this F1 team that isn't ours yet, we own a stake in it. Contractually, we're obligated to take a majority stake in it by 2026, but it's not really ours yet, but we need to invest in it and get it there. But at the same time, it's running a power unit from one of our competitors, and it's currently branded under an entirely different manufacturer. So it's this really interesting project. And of course, Alfa Romeo, that title sponsorship ends at the end of the season, but they're still obligated to run a Ferrari power unit through 24 and 25. So it's going to be a really, really interesting project. But it's also it's also really really interesting to hear just how much investment has happened at this Swiss factory, the former Sauber facility. And, and Lawrence Barreto talks about as well the fact that during the BMW era in the early 2000s, the early mid late 2000s, BMW had pumped a ton of money into that facility, and it was a world class industry class facility with the best of everything. But the way that Formula One moves is that if you don't invest every single year, you're going backwards. So by 2017, those facilities that were world-class in 2007 were totally 
totally, totally obsolete. And they've had to invest a ton of money into it. And then that investment has accelerated now that Audi has a foot in it because they want to make sure that come 25, 26, when it becomes that Audi works team, it's the best, the best on the grid that Audi's going to do this because they want to contend for world championships. And you can't do that unless you have a world-class facility with a world-class simulator and a world-class wind tunnel. So some cool stuff happening. And like you said a couple of minutes ago, Audi, like Ford Red Bull or Red Bull powertrains Ford, I always get them backwards, but they now have a live internal combustion engine. Again, a single cylinder internal combustion engine, but they fired up an internal combustion engine. And when I read that, I'm just like, Honda... Honda, <laughs> if you want to do this, you got to be moving. Yep. And I'm, I'm sure, I sure they don't need me sitting here in windy, cold Vancouver, telling them, telegraphing that to them via podcast. You know the the whole Audi Sauber thing. You know, you know, I, I've kind of like come up a very simplistic and uh, maybe too simplistic a scenario to compare it to. But you know, sometimes when you go to jump in the shower, you go and look in the soap dish that the soap is like probably not quite enough. So you go and get like another piece, like a new piece of soap out of the cupboard. And then sometimes, you know, it's not the same bread, but you kind of like mash them together. You get like this weird Frankenstein soap and like maybe you got like a piece of ivory or a dove and then you mash it together with an Irish spring or something. That's what, what it is like right now. We got kind of like this Sauber, like, like Audi kind of like soap thing, which, you know. So that is the perfect analogy if yeah. you lived in 1977. <laughs> With the combination of body wash and shampoo, I know nobody, and maybe I'm maybe I'm the exception, but I don't know. And reach out if you use soap in the shower as opposed to body wash. I would like to know, but uh, I don't know anybody that uses bars of soap, but I think your analogy stands. Yeah. It stands. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, I do use the body wash too. I know that's probably a little bit of TMI, but uh, I had to had to go there. So we're going to- You we're did gonna, it, but you yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to kind of like start we're wrapping things up now. We're going to kind of end where we kind of started and we're going to go back to Mr. Stefano Domenicali the F1 CEO, who is a bit that the new Brad Pitt uh, movie about Formula One will be quite invasive of Grand Prix weekends. So, so Mark, do you want to talk a little bit about this? Are you are you a showbiz kind of person? Are you are you oh, up to absolutely. speed? I'm on. I'm on boxofficemojo.com oh, all the time. I follow the box office. Okay. I love pop culture. This is an interesting story, and, and it's it's interesting because we talked about this, and I don't know if you had a chance to check it out yourself, but we talked about this a little bit with Seth last week when we did the, the Rush podcast, which is there's another big budget, and again, Rush wasn't exactly big budget. I think it was made for less than $40 million, but there is a big budget Formula One movie on the way, and the premise is shockingly similar to the 2001 indie movie Driven. So if you haven't seen Driven, check it out. It oh, stars right. Sylvester yeah, Stallone. Yeah. Yep. He's pulled out of retirement as a 50-year-old former indie champion to come and nurture and to coach a young driver. But that's going to be the premise here, which is 50-year-old, 58-year-old Brad Pitt is coaxed out of retirement to come and help a young rookie. The cool thing, though, is they're going big, big, big budget. And I'm going to read here from insider.com. Let me bring this up here. The movie will be directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who is behind the recent blockbuster Top Gun Maverick, which is nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. Jerry Bruckheimer, who produced both Top Gun movies and the popular NASCAR hit Days of Thunder will do the same on this one. Some of the technology used to make Top Gun sequel will also be used in this movie. Says Gunther Steiner, Haas team principal, I was particularly impressed by the technology they showed us. They used it to do Maverick. I didn't know that this existed, so I think they are the best out there at the moment to do something like this. Top Gun 
Gun Maverick writer Aaron Kruger will fill the same role in this film, although it sounds like he's already getting help from Pitt and Hamilton. It's a really cool project, says Lewis Hamilton, who was listed as a producer and advisor. We're already working on the script, for example, which is fun. Spending good time with Brad, which is pretty epic. The movie, according to Insider.com, doesn't have an official release date yet. However, considering the names involved, we could probably guess a timeline that would see this come to fruition in the last or the latter half of 2023 or at some point during 2024. So the big takeaways here is all the big names associated with big box office, tentpole, popcorn flicks, Jerry Bruckheimer, etc., are involved in this film. Lewis is very closely involved. It's being underwritten and funded by Apple. So it's probably going to make a big splash on the Apple TV streaming service, which I'm sure we have because we've got all of them, it seems. But yeah, it should be should be an interesting film. But again, the premise is going to be very, very similar to a another open wheel racing movie we saw within the last couple of decades. My big takeaway is that uh, Brad Pitt is uh, 58. I did realize that uh, that Brad is almost pushing retirement age. That's kind of making me feel old too, because even though he's at least a decade older than I am, that uh, yeah, that just yeah, that kind Dude, of. Takes I me realize to- I realized today I'm older than every player in the NBA. Like I I remember <laughs> when I was older than a NBA player. It is a horrifying thought to think that all of my heroes are younger than me. All of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, except for you, of course. You're you're far, far older than I. <laughs> Thank you for making me feel much, much older. And so let, let's not dwell on this. So why don't we just uh, jump into unceremoniously, just jump into Bodu GP Corner before we wrap things up, Hammy. So first of all, make sure you add the jingle and post. I spent like 20 minutes making that masterpiece of a jingle. But the story today is kind of like an F1 mashup. So we, we reported previously, and by reported, I mean we commented and aggregated on somebody else's work, but we talked about the fact that Stefano Domenicali of Formula One and the Dorna Group, which is the group that promotes the MotoGP championship, had talked about putting together a combination race weekend. So a race weekend where we would see both Formula One and MotoGP. Um, The thought was possibly that it could happen in Madrid, in Spain. Now, it looks like the idea of doing a combination Formula One and MotoGP race weekend, I think the logistics aside would make that very difficult. And the idea has been scuttled, at least for now. But out of this MotoGP story comes a Formula One story. And that Formula One story is that the current race in Barcelona, a race that you love and are passionate about and you've been to and experienced in person... That race is under contract through 2026. It looks as though, again, this is just rumors at this point and some loose reporting that I can't corroborate, but it looks like Liberty have been talking with a group from Madrid to move the Spanish Grand Prix to that city and do it on a street track. And there's not a lot of detail at this point about where it would be, what it would look like, but it looks like Formula One is entertaining the idea of moving the Spanish Grand Prix to a different venue in the country. Now, of course, uh, the circuit de... Can, can you say it? I'm going to butcher it. I always struggle with this track name. The current track in Barcelona or immediately adjacent to it is obviously doing some things to elevate its position in terms of fostering good racing. We know that one of the more tricky chicanes is being erased for this year to promote passing and more overtaking, et cetera, et cetera. But that could be short-lived because it looks like, at least according to the reporting from Mundo Deportivo in Spain, it looks like the Spanish Grand Prix could move to Madrid in time for the 2027 championship. 
Yeah, I know when it comes to uh, the, the the Spanish Grand Prix being at Barcelona, I'm a bit of a homer because you know I, I love the, the the whole experience and and Barcelona, guys. If you've never been, you got to go. It's just an absolutely wonderful city. I had I did get a chance to go to Madrid when I was in Spain, so I don't really I'm not able to make that comp. But I mean, you know, yeah, Barcelona and Catalonia that uh, that area is just absolutely gorgeous. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous and just uh, you know Formula One or not that has to be like a bucket list visit uh, for for anyone. So interesting, Hammy. We'll see uh, see what happens and see how that uh, develops. But it, it seems that Formula One's tentacles seem to be extending everywhere at uh, at this uh, point in time. So. And that, uh, my friend, uh, we're, we're a few minutes ahead of schedule. I know that the AI versions of us would have wrapped this up uh, approximately sixty minutes ago. Uh, but before we go, any any news, any anything that we need to? I think we covered everything. I guess the only thing we'll do is I'll do it for you. Is that if you enjoy the podcast, please on head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating review. And Help us so- get to four hundred ratings on Spotify. So we're sitting at three eighty three. We've picked up like ten in the last week. Help us. Our goal is by the end of April to be at 400 ratings, and you can help us do that by clicking the stars. Yeah, and you can also, another way by helping us is go and visit uh, our partners and sponsors, uh, The Race Weekend Magazine, that's theraceweekend.com, and also uh, Tease and the crew over at racingexclusive.com. And finally, if you want to get in touch, send us an email at scooteryf1pod at gmail.com or tweet us at scooteryf1pod. And I promise one of these days I, I will start replying to emails. I know that there's a couple that uh, that have reached out and appreciate appreciate uh, the, the messages uh, from everyone. And behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, thank you for listening mark and sam cooper will be here on sunday night uh to uh, record and have something uh, fresh in your feed for that uh, dreaded monday commute and then hammy and i will be back this time next week to preview round number four is it round number four of the the, the season i've lost track that's i mean uh, how long we've been not uh, racing so until then have a wonderful weekend and we'll talk again soon bye for now